as we started that chant this evening, the first thought that went through my mind was, how did I become a Buddhist? It seems um, an, un an unusual thing to happen in the United States. And then I felt gratitude that, uh, that I found this tradition and that we are all here together uh, studying and, and that we can chant the precepts and refuges together. Very beautiful. And related to the topic of my talk tonight, um, I'd like to talk about gratitude and generosity. So this morning I mentioned um, having a sustainable practice, and part of having a sustainable practice is to nourish the soil of our practice, to put in nutrients. And um, gratitude and generosity are two prime nutrients for um, the soil of our lives, the soil of our practice. And it's also a time of year that traditionally um, giving is talked about. I do know that it's been somewhat warped by um, consumerism in our culture, but that doesn't take away from the fact that generosity is a deeply spiritual quality. So we'll be talking about that tonight. I want to start with a poem from Mary Oliver called Peter's Birthday. I gave to a friend that I care for deeply something that I loved. It was only a small, extremely shapely bone that came from the ear of a whale. It hurt a little to give it away. The next morning I went out as usual at sunrise and there in the harbor was a swan. I don't know what he or she was doing there, but the beauty of it was gift. Do you see what I mean? You give and you are given. And I like this um, poem because it's both about giving and receiving, or um, generosity and gratitude, and how they seem so intricately connected and linked and I also like it because she's honest. She says she gave something away that she loved, but it hurt a little bit. It was a practice for her. So I think of gratitude and generosity as um, a coin with two sides. So there's the giving and the receiving, and that they are um, intricately interlinked. And they're both deeply spiritual qualities that um, reflect and embody the Buddha's teachings. They both recognize the uh, changing interdependent nature of life, that life is a flow, things move around, <laughs> change, morph. And therefore, they also recognize that um, we need to le le learn to let go of clinging, to let go of holding on. And they both bring joy to our hearts and our minds. They're very nourishing for our practice in that way. The Buddha said there's two kinds of rare people, pure givers and acknowledgers of giving. So pure givers and those that can feel gratitude and um, acknowledge receiving. Even one act of, apparently a small act of generosity can have amazing consequences. Generosity and gratitude together. One such act uh, is a story from uh, the Sagain Hills region of Burma where I have practiced some and um, occasionally teach. And it's... Um, this area that's about an hour from Mandalay, it's, um, it's really the spiritual heart of Burma. It is uh, permeated with Dhamma. There are reportedly, I think, six or seven hundred pagodas and monasteries in a, a few square mile region. Lots of monks and nuns, and it's really a beautiful place to, to, to practice. So there's a retreat that... Um, we teach in January of um, every year. I teach it sometimes, sometimes not. But it all started from one act of generosity. 
1996, uh, Stephen Smith, a, a Western teacher, was practicing there, and um, he was he was the first about the first Westerner, I think, as I understand it, in that region, practicing, and he was practicing in a monastery there, and he was you know sitting and walking, sitting and walking. And a um, young Burmese woman named Chetsu, who was 15 years old, was working in that monastery. She was um, carrying bricks to make one of the buildings. She had left school so that she could do this work to help her family, support her family. And she's very, um, I know her, and uh, she's a very devout Buddhist with lots of devotion in her heart. So she saw this person, and he was the first white person she'd seen, so that was probably enough to catch her attention. But she saw him doing this practice, and she was so inspired she wanted to give him something, make an act of dana or generosity. So she decided that the best thing to give a Westerner would be a can of Coca-Cola. And um, a, a can of Coca-Cola cost about three or four days' wages for her. They're, they're, they're quite expensive cans of Coca-Cola in Burma. So she, um, she gave him a can of Coca-Cola. And he was so um, touched by this act of generosity, um, knowing you know, that it cost her quite a bit to do this that um, he started to pay more attention to the village around the monastery and um, felt called to give back. And the next year uh, started this, this annual retreat, three-week three retreat in this um, town of Wachet. And um, related to this retreat, there's a project called the Metadana Project, which over the years has built extensions for the school. Um, every year buys all the kindergartners' uniforms, um, supports an acupuncture training program in the hospital there, uh, supports three nunneries um, with um, about 100 nuns, and um, uh, just lots of um, acts of... Uh, well, things that are helpful for um, these villagers. And it all started with a can of Coca-Cola and somebody who could um, receive that generosity and really feel it. Because when we receive generosity and really feel it, when we feel gratitude, we're naturally drawn to give back. It's just how life works, if we can really feel it. Another beautiful little act of generosity that actually changed the whole world and could have something to do with us being here is um, the story that the Buddha, when he um, had practiced enough austerity practices and found himself um, in need of, or deciding that nourishment might be a good thing for the body and <laughs> might be helpful for practice, um, it said that a, a milkmaid named Sujata came and found him and offered him um, some rice milk pudding and that that was what he ate and that nourished his practice and allowed him to attain the supreme enlightenment that has to do with why we're here. A small act of generosity but with such um, far-reaching consequences. So I used to, when I would give a talk on generosity, I would give this long talk on generosity, and then at the end I'd say a few things about gratitude. And then lately I've switched the order, and then I give like at least half the talk is about gratitude, and then I talk about generosity. And I think that um, for many of us, and um, not all of us obviously, but for many of us, that if we um, talk about generosity without an understanding of gratitude, we may have a sense of generosity as some kind of um, duty or burden. Um, we don't really understand fully um, uh, the flavor of it in Buddhism, which is much more a flavor of um, happiness and the mind freed of want or freed of clinging or craving. And so gratitude helps us to understand that flavor of generosity rather than um, bringing in some conditioning that might... Uh, you could say, warp the flavor of it. So with gratitude, um, we practice receiving uh, the gifts and the blessings and um, all that comes our way with, you could say, an open heart. We understand um, 
how much and how often we receive. And that helps to um, relax our hearts and minds, bodies. It um, helps to lessen the holding on in the heart, to really acknowledge that, to know that, and, and to see how interconnected we are. Gratitude helps us to understand that too. We're, we're being given to all the time. We can't live without that. Each breath is, is a gift. Each breath we're receiving oxygen that we need to live. And each breath we're, 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 re, we're returning. We're giving back the oxygen or the carbon dioxide that the plants need. So each breath is just this full re- reflection of um, giving and receiving gratitude, generosity. That's just for starters. <laughs> if we think of all um, all the things we receive in just a day, just the, the food that sustains us and all that goes into the food that sustains us. All the folks just even here that take care of this place and all the people that take care of them. And when we really begin to reflect, it's, it's an endless web of, of receiving that we're enmeshed in. So gratitude is the acknowledging of this receiving. It's an appreciation. Or you could even say it's a shift in perspective. Perhaps a shift from lack to appreciation. Gratitude isn't a quality that um, came naturally to me. Um, and I, didn't, I think at first I didn't even make a conscious effort to practice it. I think it's just from paying attention. If we just pay attention, at some point we have to see how much we receive. And then the heart, um, just in that deep seeing, um, gratitude is natural. So for me, it, it was the shift, um, or it's, you know, I'm still learning about it, the shift from seeing lack to seeing um, appreciating fullness. And it's really, we can just make the shift. So like last week, or was it the week before? I think it was maybe two weeks ago. I had to have root canal surgery. And um, so there's two ways I could look at root canal surgery. I could look at it as lack, like, oh, I have this bad tooth and, and, um, and pain. And, and then the other way we can, I can look at it is, wow, I live in a place where I have dental care <laughs> and where like somebody takes care of my tooth and they actually do the surgery with very little pain and I get to keep a tooth. You know, so it's the same thing that's happening either way, but it's 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 really the kind of the karmic seeds that we that we plant that we drop in the ground and how they create um, our world. So I can plant karmic seeds of lack or I can plant karmic seeds of um, gratitude and appreciation, and that's going to influence the kind of world that I live in. I feel gratitude as a, it's a kind of warmth or trust, ease, relaxation. It, it, um, there's a sense of being touched by life when, when gratitude is strong in the heart and the mind. I used to think it was kind of a fluffy quality. I wasn't um, sure about it as um, being related to a spiritual practice or serious um, spiritual practice. It took me time to really understand um, the depth of it. Another um, story from Burma. I... Um, I go there, I tend to go there every other year. And so uh, most years there's one or two events that will stick out in my mind. And um, this last year, the person who stuck out was a young nun um, named Kamala Nyani, um, about 13 or 14 years old, I think in Burmese calculations, 14, and we would call it 13. Um, So I was nearing the end of my time there and um, I wanted to go hiking up in the hills. So the Sagain region is on the banks of the Irrawaddy, and there's all these hills. And um, 
I kind of felt like I, you can kind of find your way around up there, but there's all these intricate roads and abandoned roads, and it's, it's all kind of wild. And um, I wanted some guides, and um, there was this one nunnery that I would visit. And, and, oh, I have to go back up a little bit. So the story starts with this year I was teaching and filling in for my teacher, and um, I was in the position of giving out these funds for the Metadonna Project because of my position as the lead teacher of this retreat, or the lead Western teacher of this retreat. And um, so I, I, I was, um, you know, we gave a lot of um, Donna to these nuns. And uh, so I, hadn't, I didn't quite understand how they saw me. I just was doing what was handed to me to do. But apparently, um, I was seen as, uh, very generous person <laughs> and uh, you know some I donated too but it was definitely not all my funds um, so I decided I wanted to go uh, hiking in the woods and uh, or the up in the hills and um, there was this one nunnery I'd visited and there's this young nun Kamalanyani and the young ones have to stay back that's kind of protocol but she would be in, kind of behind and while we were talking to the older nuns she'd be like she had this really vivacious energy, so she was like trying to engage with me. She was just really curious and lots of light and um, just spunk. And uh, so I really wanted her to take me up in the woods, um, but I couldn't really ask. But I went back to this nunnery and I said to the head nun, I said, I'd like to go walking in the woods, and is it possible for a couple of the nuns to come with me? And she said, yes, yeah, sure. How many do you want? <laughs> and I said, well, how about three? And, um, <laughs> and they were all in their classes, and they got taken out of their classes. Again, I wasn't quite aware of my power because um, uh, everything stopped, and they were happy to do anything I wanted. Um, so she, 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 she said, okay, one, two, three. And she pointed to actually the three nuns that I most wanted to um, go walking with, Kamalanyani and a couple other nunlets, as I call them sometimes. <laughs> they were a little younger than her. So we're off, um, and they took me on quite a walk. We visited a glass coffin with a mummified arahant that supposedly hair and nails still grow. I don't, I will reserve judgment. Um, anyway, all around up, and, and, and uh, you know, so three hours later, I hadn't quite expected going up and down for three hours, but I was really appreciative. So I turned to Kamalanyani, and I had been practicing a little Burmese. I knew a little bit, not much, a little bit. I had my dictionary, and so I, I thanked her. I said, thank you, you know, for taking me around. And she kind of looks at me almost perplexed. She takes my dictionary. She's flipping through it. And she says, you, points to the word benefactor, you benefactor. And her eyes, I mean, there was such a, a sense of um, gratitude, but it was very simple. It was like equals, right? But gratitude, giving, receiving. So just her understanding that um, she had received from me, and of course she wanted to give back. And it just stuck in my mind kind of the openness uh, and the simplicity of her um, receiving receiving and wanting to give. So then later we went back. I had to get back to the um, monastery, and they wanted to come with me. So they came, and they came to my little room. So I, my room was pretty small, my little hut. But they came in with me. <laughs> and in Burma, there's different ideas about privacy than in the United States. Um, this was not considered rude in Burma. Um, so they're going through all my stuff, which is also not considered so rude in um, Burma. And... Uh, <laughs> So I had this little um, heart um, that somebody had given me, and it had been in my backpack, and I'd accidentally brought it with me, this little red heart, like glass heart, and she obviously liked it. And so later I left that for her when she wasn't around. So then, you know, it's giving, receiving, back, forth. It's just so beautiful. So when we start um, with the practice of gratitude, there might be a lot of me in it. There might be a lot of me receiving, right? A sense of, of I getting things. But I think as time, as we practice gratitude more, it, it, it develops a more selfless quality. It's really more of just seeing how things move in this, 
in this world. It's just flow, you could say. We see that things flow. The first time I gave a talk on gratitude, one of um, the people in my sangha uh, in Western Mass, she came up to me and she said, I had um, major surgery a couple months ago, and um, for seven weeks I was pretty laid up, and many people had to help me. I needed lots of help, and many people came through and helped me. And um, she said, at, at a certain point, she said, the eye dissolves. And it like transformed her practice to really understand receiving. It was just what was happening. The eye dissolves. And even with the practice, as I was saying, of recognizing each breath as giving and receiving, you know, at first it could be that we see that um, we are receiving life and... and um, we are receiving oxygen, giving out carbon dioxide, but at some point we can see that this is life um, expressing itself in this moment, in this organism, giving and receiving, and it's not so personal. So the happiness of gratitude, um, it's very energizing. It gives us energy to do this hard work that we're doing here. It gladdens the mind. With gratitude, the mind feels lighter and more flexible. It's easier to concentrate. There's more relaxation and ease. A happy and relaxed mind meditates more easily. Gratitude is also um, a gentle kind of happiness that teaches us about contentment. It quiets the mind and connects us with what Pema Chodron calls all-pervasive richness. It quiets the inner hungry ghost that wants and wants and wants. It's like when we can take in um, all that we receive with gratitude, there can be a sense of satisfaction, a full heart and um, a full belly for that hungry ghost. The deepest gratitude understands um, impermanence, that we can't hold on to what we receive, that all of it changes and it lets go when it's time. There's a certain flexibility in this kind of deep um, gratitude and understanding of the impermanence of this world. So it's open-hearted and unconditional. Another poem by Mary Oliver, I think, expresses this very beautifully. It's called At the Pond. One summer, I went every morning to the edge of a pond where a huddle of just-hatched geese would paddle to me and clamber up the marshy slope and over my body, peeping and staring. Such sweetness every day with the grown ones watched for whatever, which the grown ones watched for whatever reason serenely. Not there, however, but here is where the story begins. Nature has many mysteries, some of them severe. Five of the young geese grew heavy of chest and bold of wing, while the sixth waited and waited in its gauze feathers, its body that would not grow. And then it was fall. And this is what I think everything is about, the way I was glad for those five and two that flew away, and the way I hold in my heart the wingless one that had to stay.
somehow that seems to me um, a kind of deep gratitude that's unconditional and that accepts the world as it is. This kind of gratitude is, is durable and strong and in touch with reality. So a few years ago, I was reading um, an, an article from the um, Abhyagiri newsletter called Fearless Mountain, so from the Thai tradition. And they talked about uh, some Pali words that I found quite um, interesting. The first one's katanyu. This is one who knows what has been done for them, or one who feels grateful. Katawedi those who pay back the debt. And then they're put together, katanyu katawedi, feeling gratitude and striving to pay it back. And in this newsletter, it said that this is the basis of any sane and fully functioning system. Katanyu katawedi. That's really about flow that... um, Receiving without giving doesn't uh, make sense. It doesn't work. It's unnatural. It's like stopping up a, um, a, um, a water hose. If you put the water in one end for it to flow, it has to go out the other end. Many years ago when I was uh, twenty. Two, 23 years old, I lived in Nicaragua. It's my first job after college, Nicaragua. I was an ESL teacher there. And for part of that time, I lived with a, a woman and her family. This was a woman who had come up to uh, Wisconsin uh, for a little while for a school program, and I'd met her. And so I moved in with her family, and it was a two two-bedroom house. One of the bedrooms was large and divided with the curtains, so it was kind of like three. And in that house, I lived with her and her baby and her husband when he was home from work, and her father, elderly father, her sister, her sister's uh, son, and um, one other niece. And um, they gave me the bedroom, (laughs) the one bedroom, so they were very kind and very generous to me. I paid some rent, but it was very, very small amount. And um, they were just endlessly kind and generous to me. And at that time, I really didn't understand generosity. I had uh, so much fear um, that I, I really couldn't be generous. And uh, after I left Nicaragua, um, and was back here in the States, I I never forgot what they'd done for me. And I also um, remembered with a lot of regret that I hadn't shared the resources that I had uh, as fully as I could have by any means. And in the meantime, um, Marisol emigrated with her children, and uh, now she's a citizen of Canada. Um, I couldn't forget that. I couldn't forget uh, my... You know, that stopped up feeling that I, I, I received so much and that I didn't give it back. So a number of years ago, I was teaching in Canada, and I designated um, uh, uh, some of the dana um, to be sent to her and her family. And it was like something felt um, complete and like it moved again, like it was right to do that. And I think of that as katanyu katawedi, that sense of... Um, a calling to give back when we receive. She was surprised. She didn't think I owed her anything, but um, that wasn't surprising either. So when um, we understand katanyu katawedi, we become a conduit for energy flow in this world. We, we become like that garden hose that's open at both ends, that receives fresh water and lets it flow through. So we naturally move from gratitude to giving to generosity. 
And basically it feels better to be generous. There is something that feels um, stopped up when we can't be generous. There's something that feels like it's not moving like it should move. When I was writing this, I was remembering um, the story of the Scrooge and the Christmas Carol, with apologies to those who may not be Christian. I'm not Christian. <laughs> um, um, but the, the, the whole story is basically about learning and understanding um, the beauty of giving. So he starts out as this um, grumpy guy. And I don't know the story. I might not get it exact. But uh, he starts out as this grumpy, stingy guy. He doesn't give it at all. And then he has this um, these visions where he sees himself at the end of his life. And he sees that. I think he sees that he dies and like nobody comes to his funeral. He has no friends. And um, he kind of realizes the, the karmic fruits of, of not being generous and it changes him and, and he uh, learns how to give and he sees the joy and the connectedness that comes from that. So generosity, generosity is a practice of letting go, of clinging. So it's a, it's a great, um, I would say it's an equal opportunity practice. It's great for all of us. We don't have to get into some high jhanas or um, <laughs> absorptions or have um, you know, any uh, strong meditative abilities to be generous. It's something that we can all practice. And when we, when we do practice giving, we, what we practice is the strength of non-attachment or the strength of non-clinging or the weakening of craving. That's what happens when we give. So when we um, make a habit out of giving, we, we weaken the force in the mind that holds on. So we can see how intimately related to our meditation practice is. The Buddha said the cause of suffering is holding on, is that clinging, craving, and giving um, loosens that, lessens it. So we can experience through giving the freedom of non-clinging or non-attachment. Pema Chodron says, giving ventilates the claustrophobia of self-absorption. When we think only of ourselves, there is a sense of claustrophobia of being closed in. Giving ventilates that. All right, there's another quote related. I don't know who, this might be the Dalai Lama, I'm not sure. It's only one sixth billionth about me, which I find useful. So giving releases us from um, the narrow confines of self-centeredness. It frees the rigid boundaries that we have with others that separate us from others. And as we give, we start to feel more connected and less alienated. Ethan Nickturn, uh, a teacher in New York City, says that um, giving turns us into decent, low-maintenance human beings. I like that, too. And so giving um, is a practice. And it's a practice that shows us where we're attached. And we learn to stretch a little bit and see that we don't have to hold on. So it's not something that we either uh, know or don't know or are good at or not good at. It's a practice. It's something that we can um, strengthen through conscious practice. One of my favorite quotes related to generosity is by somebody named E.J. Gold from Gnosis Magazine. There's a kind of school where you arrive saying, what can I get, or how is this any good for me? You see, I had workshops. I figure I must have had 20,000 people through my workshops in 37 years. Most people asked, what is this going to do for me? 
The answer is always the same. This is not for you. It's not for your benefit. You're not supposed to get anything out of this at all. If you do, you'll be very fortunate because I never have. All you do is give. That's the whole thing. You just give and give and give. And it costs to give. You even have to pay to give. And in the end, you have nothing, just nothing. Now, if you can handle that, you belong here. I love this idea of um, stretching to um, the point of paying to give. That there's that much um, freedom and willingness in the heart and mind. challenges our very self-centeredness. Generosity is about happiness. And it's said that generosity brings happiness. The Buddha said generosity generosity brings happiness at every stage of its expression and that we feel joy when we think about being generous we feel feel joy when we're actually being generous and we experience joy when we remember that we've given At one point, um, I did a retreat. I, I called it like a Donna retreat. It was an end-of-the-year retreat. And uh, at the end of each day, I would write a check to an organization or a teacher that, um, or somebody, some place that I was supporting. And I did it uh, consciously using this before, during, and after as a way for me to help me understand this quality of generosity and the joy in it. It's not something that came natural to me in my earlier life, as I mentioned. So before I would write a check, I would think about the person or the organization and who was going to benefit, and I would really reflect on that. And then as I was writing it, I would do the same. And then afterwards, I would... um, And then afterwards, I would, uh, again, reflect on what, um, wh- who, who had received it and, or was going to receive it and the um, pleasure and joy that that would bring. And it was really fun. It was a fun practice. I really started to understand more um, what it means when we say that generosity is a practice of happiness. I think we also like ourselves better when we're generous. It's a great practice for um, self-esteem. It's suggested that we delight in our own giving. The other day I was home and uh, I, I like birds a lot. I had this bird bath and a heated bird bath we have in the winter. And I was watching the birds um, drink from it. And I was just delighting in, in being able to give this to them. It brought a lightness and a happiness to the mind and heart. Another story from Burma. I know that we have generous people in the United States and that we can be generous here too, so don't get me wrong, but it's very permeated in the Burmese culture in a way that you don't see quite as much here. Um, So I've learned a lot about generosity from my time there. So one day I was... Uh, I went to buy some little Buddha statues to take home, mostly to give as gifts. And I bought one statue about yay high maybe for our little meditation center in Western Mass for our altar. And I love Buddha statues. I love buying Buddha statues. Um, I just, they make me so happy. And so I came back at lunchtime. I had all these bags of Buddhist, Buddha statues. And um, there's six women who serve the meals at this retreat year after year. And so we've gotten to know them a little bit. So they saw and they wanted to see what I had. And so I, you know, I told them they're Buddha statues. So they wanted to see all the Buddha statues. And so I undid them all. And so I showed them the one that was going to the center. And like I said, I speak a little Burmese. So I 
pieced together, I said, um, Yekta, Yekta means meditation center. So I said, Yekta, America, Dana. <laughs> you know, that I was giving it as Dana. And there were three of them, and they instantly, all together, sadhu, 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 like this. And I was like so shocked. <laughs> it was like, but they were celebrating my generosity, and it was really, um, to them, it, it was a cause for celebration. And it was really quite fun. <laughs> Another way we can practice with generosity is to see what our motivation is when we give. This is considered um, an important part of the practice of giving. And a story that uh, reflects a little bit this, you could say the different motivations in giving, uh, it has to do with birds again. So... A number of years ago, I was sitting and watching the birds in the morning. I like I have bird feeders, and I like to watch them and feed them and have my morning cup of tea and enjoy the birds. And uh, at this place that I lived, I had a hard time getting the bird feeders kind of up enough that the bears couldn't get them. So I would periodically lose a bird feeder to the bears. One time a bear had my bird feeder in one arm and was galloping off with the other three, like, bye. <laughs> and um, if any of you like birds, you know that bird feeders are expensive. And so uh, that morning I was watching the birds, and um, I was thinking, wow, I wonder if I've got my money's worth. I have, like, all the bird food and the bird feeders and... Um, you know, if I got my money's worth, have I gotten enough in enjoyment for what I've paid for all these things? Now, you can readily see that this, um, this is not one of the higher forms of giving. <laughs> this was this what the Buddha would call um, beggarly giving that we give, but there's a lot of I involved, you know, a lot of attach- attachment or bargaining or hesitation. And I recognize that this wasn't a very... Um, beautiful frame of mind, this, this kind of questioning. So I decided to change it, try a different frame of mind. And I thought, this bird food is my dana to the birds, my gift to them so that they can eat and be healthy and happy. I felt much better. It's more like what the Buddha called friendly giving, where we start to give more um, in a more relaxed manner, and there's some understanding of the happiness of the sharing and the giving. And, we, and it's more about the other, not so much about us. And then my mind went further. I, this, this I didn't intend, but it just happened on its own. There was just me and the birds, and it was like we were each fulfilling our role in this wonderful, interwoven, interconnected dance in the universe. It wasn't so much me giving to the birds or the birds receiving. It was just the dance, what was happening. The flow of food threw me to the birds, but no um, sense that I was a giver. And in that kind of giving, the heart felt free, the most free, right? The most open. There's and this type of giving, there's, um, it's more what the Buddha would call selfless giving. There's much more freedom and spaciousness in the heart. Non-attachment. So when we give, we can look at the um, motivation. Is the motivation one of um, self-concern, wanting something back, bargaining? Or is the motivation one of caring, seeing what needs to be done? And it's not to judge if it's one way or the other. It's really a genuine uh, exploration with interest. So it's like when I had that first form of giving to the birds, I was curious about it, and I saw that it wasn't leading to happiness, right? And so the mind was willing to shift. So it's like we see for ourselves, or we learn for ourselves, the happiness and freedom of giving with pure and pure motivation. 
So we watch giving, we watch holding on. We have two cookies, one's bigger, and one goes to our friend and one goes to us. So we watch what happens, right? Sometimes we want to give the bigger cookie and sometimes we don't. We want to keep the bigger cookie. And sometimes we might give the bigger cookie and sometimes we might keep it and give the smaller cookie to our friend. So we watch and we see what's the results, you know? Does it really bring happiness to keep the bigger cookie and to give the smaller one? It's a, it's, so it's about curiosity, not judging ourselves if we feel that um, we see self-interest come up in the giving. That's, that's generosity practice. So generosity is a um, foundational practice. It's taught as a foundational practice. Sila and generosity or ethical conduct and generosity as foundational practices. And basically that's because it offers a sense of protection. If we want to practice deeply, we need the sense of goodness that comes from giving. So traditionally, especially, for example, the Tibetan traditions, people do a lot of foundational practices before deep meditation in order to create, you could say, the kind of soil or the kind of atmosphere or the kind of world that we would want to relax into. So when we practice gratitude and generosity, we're planting, you could say, karmic seeds that create the kind of world that we would like to relax into, that we'd like to live in. And so if, if on the other hand, we're creating a world of alienation or separation, it's going to be harder to really relax into our meditation because we're not going to want to go th- to that kind of a world. When we relax, we go to the world that, we, that in some ways karmically has been created through our actions. And so if we've created a world of kindness and generosity, there's a certain kind of trust and relaxation that comes that allows us to go deep into our practice. We've created the kind of world that we can relax in. Or we've planted more Buddhist terminology, we've planted karmic seeds that ripen in um, mind states that uh, we can relax in. Our meditation practice here is uh, a great gift. You could say it's a great act of generosity because as we become happier and more peaceful, we will naturally take that with us and share it with others. We have to. It will be part of who we are, right? So as we become steadier and develop more understanding, we take that uh, flavor or energy with us into the world. As we become freer of suffering, that again is something that we offer to all, the, all people that we touch, all people, all beings. Or our sila practice, our practice of non-harming reflected in the precepts, that's considered one of the greatest gifts that we can give. The Buddha said that living by the precepts, we give the gift of the freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to countless beings. So really our whole practice is, um, or can be a gift, the practice of metta, as we strengthen that quality in our hearts and our minds, we can take that with us. the gift of fearlessness when we live from a place of metta and a place of the precepts. So our practice here is embedded in giving and receiving. 
centuries of folks giving and receiving, creating um, the whole transmission of the teachings and the building of monasteries and places for practice and this center supported by generosity, the staff supporting us, those at home supporting us, the deer and the fox and the chipmunks and the titmice, the bears hibernating, all the unseen beings around here, our friends with us, the trees and the sun, the food, all working together. And then when we leave, we take this with us for everyone, for our friends, our children, our partners, our co-workers, the guy who cuts us off in traffic, all the people that we treat more kindly and that we harm less. (laughs) That's the generosity of our practice. So thank you for your attention to the Dharma and for your practice here. We'll sit for a couple minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.